Welcome to the Plebeian Power Hour with your hosts, Tipper and Kim. Today we are going to be talking about the history of U.S. immigration. Now, I picked this one because I was really interested after Title 42 recently expired. And so I was just really wanting to learn about what the immigration of the past looked like in America. Because I think it's, you know, I wanted to know if it was dramatically different, if it was the same. And I can't, I found a lot of fascinating things. Yeah, I I found a bunch of stuff that I thought was really interesting. And I started way back. I did too. You know, even going back to essentially colonial times. I know. My first stuff is, is 1790. So I <laughs> I even went kind of back before that, and there's a book that's called Albion's Seed, and it mm. basically talks about the colonial settlement into the United States. Interesting. And they talk about why some of these different places are, um, are, are different. So one of the things they bring up is that if you look at where, let's say, like the Puritans went, they went to like the Massachusetts and the Northeast, and then you can go look and like the Quakers went to kind of the Pennsylvania and the borderlands of, you know, England. So like Ireland and other places, they, they went to the Western back country. So the Appalachia, and they talk about, you know, the different things that happened because of that. You know, they said, you know, like if you look at who went to, Virginia, it was a group, um, there were there were cavaliers, but it was a group of people that were very big into like the caste sort of system. Interesting. And so you talk about where the slave stuff takes place. It's these people who came from a very, I'm kind of royalty. I should be allowed to treat people poorly. And then you had, you know, Puritans and Quakers that that was not a thing, but they had their own kind of quirks. And it just kind of talks about why some of these different places are different. And I just thought, that, you know, that that was kind of a good start is you could kind of see when the colonies were being formed that the immigration patterns meant something. Well, and the world was bigger. Like, you could have someone in Virginia and you could have someone in Pennsylvania, and that was a far distance back then. Yeah. It was almost like it made sense that you could have your own cultures in a more homogenous way. Yeah, and in the beginning, you know, this was a, it was a colony of England, you know, the original 13 states were all, there was colonies of England, so it was mostly people from England or mm-hmm. uh, the English Empire, and then you had French and Spanish down in, you know, Florida and Louisiana, Louisiana. areas, and it, it was kind of interesting to see the original dispersal of the colonies and then you get into stuff where you start hitting all right the u.s is its own country and then you get into stuff that i think you were talking about in like the 1790 like naturalization acts and stuff like that yeah that is that is the first one the very first thing that we have um because don't forget america became a country in 1776 and the very first thing they have is in 1790 regarding immigration is the Naturalization Act, which stated, and I quote, free white persons, end quote, who have resided in the United States for at least two years could be granted citizenship. So if you were not a free white person or if you were not a white person, um, 
then you didn't get to have citizenship. But the interesting part here is that you have two years before you get to be a citizen because that changes dramatically up and down and ebbs and flows in amounts of time for the rest of the history of the United States. Yeah, so there were several of those sort of naturalization laws that started. I think the first one was in 1790, and then in 1798 they kind of mm-hmm. changed it, and they had like a 14-year and then a 5-year. Yes, can you imagine? They, they did a bunch of different... 1798. How long has America been a country at this point? And they're like, you need to be here for 14 years yeah. before we let you. You know, and it's like, I mean, it was colonies before, so, but... But if you look at the population, because this is what kind of intrigued me, is I was like, why would they put limitations unless there was a population issue? And if you look at the population growth over especially the 1800s, you you kind of understand um, just how they were either trying to get people to come or oh, they really saying, were trying to get people to come out. for a long time. Like they didn't have... Uh, immigration restrictions for a long time. Oh, if you look at the very first census, which happened in the 1600s, um, there's like 350 people. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's kind of crazy to think about the, the difference between, you know, go back then and, and now. You know, they yeah. had all, number one, the West had not been colonized, and they'd been no. wanting to do that, you know, pre-revolution. They were always talked, you know, how are we going to settle the Ohio Valley? And, you know, they were tons of available land that that they wanted to go to but they didn't have you know well, they the also people... made those treaties later yeah mm-hmm. but they didn't have the people to be able to fill in the space because in 1610 there's 350 people who are signing the census in the entirety <laughs> of all of the colonies like like i can't even wrap my mind around it because i know they're indigenous people but i i'm like so much space, so much openness. Nobody's there, and guaranteed, you're you're dying if you have some sort of ailment because oh, for they're, sure, they, they're just up to the, the. How tough everybody must have been. How tough everybody must have been. Yeah. Although I think a lot of the people who came over initially, you know, once you're here for a couple of years and you have to go through the winters and you don't have yes. the infrastructure like they had over there. That's in right. It started out I, with I think you weakened a little 000. bit, you know, going through those, but <laughs> only the tough people made it. Yes. But, and, and it's, you had the Alien and Sedition Acts in 1780, 1798. And it, it raised the residency requirement, but there were also four laws that were associated um but it's kind of fascinating because it kind of pulled me into you know the the rules and requirements now and it it was so simple back then and it's so convoluted now oh yeah Mm -hmm. so it it started getting it in 1819 they passed a law called the manifest of immigrants act and that was the first time that they actually said hey we we're going to keep track of who's coming in they didn't keep track of that, so they didn't really have Sounds amazing. numbers. But we now have a lot of numbers. In 1819, they said, all right, you've got to, you know, people have to give us their ship manifest and tell us who's coming into the country. Yes. The other thing that they did, you know, around that same time is they started to uh, change the rules on 
when when people would come over, the conditions on those ships were so terrible. And in eighteen, you know, nineteen, they said, "All right, let's put some laws around the the ships and say, look, you, you know, you got to have, you can only stack the beds, you know, too high, and that for every person they need, you know, eighteen feet of space." You well, because they were carrying so much disease. People oh yeah, die a lot. There was tons of disease, and so they even put in, you know, you need air ventilators to the lower rooms. Like, if you got, oh. I, I can't even remember. Oh, it was, if you had a capacity of 100 people, if you had a room with 100 people, you have to have an air ventilator. And before that, that wasn't a rule. So you'd have all um, these people sitting in these rooms, stacked in there like sardines, all breathing the same air. And they don't have showers and stuff. Like, yeah. this would have been I have I've been on one of those ships that's much it's not this old i'm sure it was um it's like a, a national park or something out in boston and you can tour yeah one of the old ships and it's it's fascinating because they do have like a ventilation system where it's just like open and it does go all the way down and um if water does get in they have like little holes that it can just go out of and then you can pump it out of the bottom and i'm like that's like Life and limb every minute of the day. Like oh, you're just surviving. <laughs> at, at one point, they didn't have those ventilation shafts. I that was imagine. something that they didn't do. And and before the steam engine, it took a month to make that trip. So you're in those ships for a month. That sounds. Terrible. And so they started putting rules about all right, you got to have X amount of water and food and whatever else to to make these trips, or we're not going to let you in. Oh my gosh, the water. Yeah. scary because that's a lot of people to hydrate yep yes yeah so that. yeah that was when a lot of our uh first that's when we started collecting information on who was coming over it was in 1820 and so there there's a document that the department of homeland security has where you can go back and check immigration numbers and it starts in 1820 because yeah. that's the first time we knew anything that's the first time anybody was writing any of this down so as time progresses it's it's kind of fascinating because everyone was like come on come on come on and and i was like so what is it that started all of this in the first place it sort of ended up being this weird relationship that america had with china i even was like is it is this right like i've never heard of this before and so I was like, am I on a website that's like telling me about Chinese <laughs> relations? But no, the biggest reason for any of the immigration laws is because of the relationship with China. And I will explain a little bit about that. So in 1858, there is this treaty called the Treaty of Tianjin. And it allows for ports of Western trade in China. It allows Americans to go, Americans to go more into China. It even allowed Christian missionaries, which I don't even think they allow now. But they had this relationship that they were building with America that was, you know, quite big. And America was allowing so many Chinese people in because Chinese were cheaper labor. So the people would come over and the one of the, the intercontinental railroad was yeah. the big thing and they came to work on that and a lot of people kind of look at that as like a slave situation but it wasn't these people came over 
willing to work for less, took out all of these jobs and did all of these jobs because they chose to. And then they would send that money back to their families. But I want you to think of China in 1850 had a population of 430 million. That is more than the United States has today by almost 100 million people. So they have a gigantic population. And at that time, they were having a lot of um, economic issues in China. Yeah, one thing to keep in mind with a lot of the the United States hit its industrial revolution earlier. So I think the UK was first. And early in like the like 1800s, the U.S. was starting its industrial revolution. Yeah, so and so the economic trains. stuff was mm-hmm. was kind of booming in the U.S. And, and places like China had none of that. You know, mm-hmm. they didn't have any of that sort of mass production. So as far as wealth, mm-hmm. they're, they're way poorer. Yes, and they're there. still living off essentially hand to mouth. Where what they yeah. are eating is what they are producing on their own. They don't have, I mean, they have markets and things like that. But as a majority, as a whole, it's not as industrious as it was in America. And to give another idea, the United States at this time had a population of 23 million. So they're booming in America and they want more people to help out with all these projects. So they have this additional act in 1864 called the Immigration Act of 19, oh, of 1864 typo it was not yeah. 18 <laughs> it was 1864 and they were called it was an act to encourage immigration mm-hmm. and it, it created an option option of labor contracts um so if you created a labor contract with somebody who was a chinese national it was now able to be upheld in um, the united states so that you could say hey this person said i was i was under contract and they'd be like oh yep we now ex- you know be- acknowledge this contract yeah whereas before it was like we don't care you don't live in america like your contract's stupid (laughs) like so that was a big thing and then this is the biggest part right here where everything in the future kind of stems from this next thing in 1868 that you get the berlin game seward treaty and what this did is it eased immigration restrictions and limited american influence in chinese affairs So America's like, hey, we want your people. We promise we won't interfere in Chinese whatever diplomacy. I don't think that's probably the word back then. But in in your government, we won't do any of that. Um, But they kind of created an open border. And this might be why you don't see a lot of numbers on Chinese immigration is because it was essentially an open border between the two countries. Where they're like, yeah, we want what you have. You want what we have. Like, let's just do this. <laughs> Until in 1880. Um, I got something that says 1875, there was a page act. Oh, well, let me really one say one more thing. Okay. The Transcontinental Railroad was finished in 1863, between 1863 and 1869. And at that time, there were an estimated 15,000 Chinese workers on the railroad alone. But they came in for the gold rush, and they came in to work in in a lot of, um, 
agricultural jobs and in the clothing industry. They took over the clothing industry in like the 1850s, 1860s. So this is this is all building up. Why don't you talk about your page act? So in 1875, it was proposed by California because that's where the majority of yes. the Chinese were coming in. And it was set up to um, kind of stop Chinese immigration. And what it put in there was that it was it would bar undesirable immigrants, is what they called it. And then mm-hmm. like, and, and their definition was prostitutes, forced laborers, and convicts. And apparently, yes. there was a lot of like Chinese. They would just ship over their their criminals. They and and the. <laughs> The prostitutes, I think, actually were, in a lot of cases, slaves. Uh-uh. Is they, they, one of the things that they were saying, saying here is they set fines for people who would bring in Asians without their free and voluntary consent for the purpose oh, of no. holding them to a term of service. And that they were saying that was a big problem with like prostitution is they were bringing over a lot of the Chinese uh, that, that weren't coming over of their own free will even Mm. they were just kind of being forced over so in 1875 i think that was the first kind of restrictive law where they said all right now we're going to start caring about who comes who comes in but it's also becoming a problem because there's a large influx of people and again this is an open border so it's not they're not necessarily yeah there's no laws that stop Uh -uh. anybody from coming over the only law is when you get here, you got to write your name down, and I, I think it's, they had a number of things. you got to tell us what country you're coming from and a bunch of stuff like that. But I all they did was ask questions. I don't even know that they did at this time. So I think that they, the, the law was that they were supposed to. I don't know if they did, but oh, because well. most of the stuff that they were doing initially when they were talking about this back in you know, 1819 with the manifest and yes. the act to encourage immigration – they set up an immigration office in New York, and it was actually there to well, help people. Yes, in people. New York. Yes, yeah. In New so York. that well, that's what I wonder is but a I lot of this that stuff was, was set up China. in the east, and when you get over into California area, I, my guess is it was kind of different rules. Well, if you look at the amount of people who were supposed to be immigrated from uh, China over the years on that list, I, you didn't. The numbers are not as high as the numbers actually were because I don't I don't think they counted them in the same way. Well, I think, I think the numbers sort of could be, but it, I I kind of think the same thing is I don't think they're counting in the same way. Is I think a lot of these people coming into California weren't necessarily following the same rules yeah. as the people that were coming over on well, it was, the East Coast. It was you know because that was kind the of the Wild rush. West that sort yeah, of place. it was Wild was West. Not... It was really open. Plus, you had to get the information from California back to the yeah East Coast. And I, I mean, who knows what happened there? But in 1880, they <laughs> this is actually kind of funny because remember they have an open border with China. In 1868. In 1880, they modify the treaty and say, well, there's a chance that the U.S. doesn't want an open border in the future. And then two years later, they pass the Immigration Act of 1882, which says, y'all can't come in anymore. You're banned for 10 years. The the name of it is (laughs) the Chinese Exclusion Act, or that's what it ended up being called. And it just said, 10-year ban on Chinese immigration 
And if anybody from, you know, if any Chinese immigrants want to go back to China, we'll pay your way. Mm -hmm. And this was the first major attempt of broad federal oversight on immigration. There was a 50 cent tax on anybody who came from a foreign port and was not a citizen of the United States. And that was the Immigration Act. It also is separate from the Chinese Exclusion Act. So you're right. Those were two different things that happened at the same year. Um, and that would you would be deported. So if you came in and you were in America in before 1880, you could stay. If you came after 1880, you had to go back. And it allowed for deportation of those under two years. And um, it was signed by Chester A. Arthur, President Chester A. Arthur. And it banned Chinese laborers from immigrating to the United States. Because it had become such an influx and become, and they were, I imagine, it doesn't flat out say this, this is just kind of what I read between the lines, that it felt like, in a sense, Chinese people were taking over. Like, they were filling in all of the jobs, they were willing to work less, they were, I mean, work for less, and... So I'd be willing to work less. It was the first time that there was any, <laughs> that's funny, limitations based on any kind of like racial or even point of origin that it was just, it was just a lot. So because they'd um, filled in the clothing industries and taken over the, a lot of agricultural jobs. Um, and remember there's no minimum wage at this time. This is truly whoever will work for the cheapest gets the job. And so it was kind of a stressful time. Yeah. And if you go and look at some of the, like the history of the immigration around the same time. So number one, like one of the big spikes was you had the Irish potato famine and essentially like millions of people are dying in Ireland. They're, they're starving to death. And so there's, this was in, I think it starts in 1845. There's a huge influx and it really is the U S has more land, more opportunity. Mm hmm. And it happens again in a lot of the other poorer countries in Europe. So around the same time that a lot of the, these Chinese acts are coming, you have places like Italy starts to come over, and Germany starts to come over, and Russia start. And, and a lot of it is because, like in, in Italy, there was something that happened, I think it was in like 1880, and all of a sudden there's this huge spike, so northern Italy and southern Italy kind of united and northern Italy was kind of overtaxing the south you know uh -huh. they had the numbers and whatever and so it became this huge influx of millions of because economically it's better to come and work for the cheapest wage that you can get in the United States than to stay there in southern Italy they don't have the same manufacturing that we have and I, I was reading, like, a it was a, a Ukrainian immigrant that came over, I think, in, like, 1880. And he's sending something back to, he's writing a letter back to people there. He's saying uh, he works 10 hours a day, six days a week, and it's fantastic. And he's so happy that he's here. And it blows my mind because in my head, I... I always kind of had this thing, like, how sad would you be when you get here and find out that 
all you're going to be doing is working in the mines or the factories or whatever for 10 plus hours a day. But apparently, that was better than what a lot of them were doing in their own countries. Interesting. And it does, as you say this, you know, as I'm, as I'm going through, because, you know, a lot of these first immigration laws have to do with China, but I'm like, why wasn't it, why was it the same? Like, why wasn't it the same on the East Coast as on the, because these are national acts. These are national yeah. laws. And, and I, it would be interesting. I couldn't find exact numbers because I don't think they kept them well. But I, I'm like, was it because like everything was being overrun or because from what I understand, the countries had good relations with each other, like up until this point. I wonder yeah. if, wouldn't it be funny if the Wild West was crazy because of all of the Chinese immigrants and we just didn't know that? When It'd be really like... interesting to know how accurate some of these numbers are because yeah. when you look at the numbers that, this is from the Department of Homeland Security, so starting in 1820 when they started keeping track of the numbers, what they say for China is that starting in 1850 to 1859, they have everything in 10-year blocks. Yeah. There were 35,000 uh, 1850 to 59, 60 to 69 was 54,000, 1870 to 79 was 133,000, and then the next you know block was 65, and then 15. So that that 15 is when you start having these acts come into place. So that's 1890 to 1899. The numbers drop dramatically, where you can go look at the same time frame and look at you know if you look at say like Ireland yeah you've got 1850 million. to 59 is is a million and then you look at like when Germany starts spiking which is around the same time 1850 to 59 they've got almost a million in that block wow. then 700,000 750,000 1.4 million like their numbers are way higher they're all coming in on the east coast where potentially the infrastructure exists but oh this might be why in 1850, the whole population of California was 92,000. Yeah. So that is a good, it, big percentage. So it's a huge percentage mm -hmm. of, of that. But it is. So yeah. most of the stuff is, is led by California essentially saying, hey, we're dying out here. Yeah. Cause it, it's, that's, a, that's a bit. That's in one of those years, it's almost, or in that 10-year 10, 10 frame, they, that's more people than were originally there before that 10-year frame. Yeah. Like, so they've doubled the population of California with these Chinese immigrants. And, and maybe they went more places, but most, mostly they stayed in California. I think for the most part they stayed in California, but I'm positive it wasn't just California. Like I know that some of them must have moved. You know, like you're working on the railroad, I'm sure they'll send yeah. you because that, that, that went across the country. Yeah. Like they, and I know for sure it at least made it um, – through Utah because when they had the golden spike that was that thing the 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 pinnacle it's finished um there were like thousands and thousands of Chinese people coming from yeah. the west on that they they probably had some coming and, from the east and i suspect too. that there was just a lot of people kind of spreading out and you know that that happened with most of the immigrants as they came over but so some fascinating information is China's mad. And so they boycott America's products. And um, it only lasted five months. They couldn't, they couldn't hold it up. 
because they're in the middle of the opium wars and that was the first time ever that they were a larger importer than they were an exporter but in 1888 you have the scott act and it's a increasing restriction of chinese immigration and then in um this has a funny story attached to it so there is a man his name is che chen ping and he you had to have papers if you were there legally so they have these papers and if you're going to leave america you have your certificate and you come back with your certificate that says i know i'm from china but i have permission to be here <laughs> well while he's on the boat back they change the law and they're not even accepting certificates so he shows up to america he has a certificate and they're like nope if you leave you don't get to come back and they had changed that with the Scott Act in 1888, where they're like, if you leave, you're done. You don't get to come back. So he's like, he takes it all the way to the Supreme Court. And they're like, nope, you left. And the law changed. And I was like, oh, Chi Jinping, like, that's not fair. They should have at least let his, you know, the ones who were sailing when it changed. Yeah, no kidding. But um, in 1891, Benjamin Harrison signed a law making it aiding any non-lawful non-citizen into the u.s a misdemeanor so this changes the structure so you know you can't you can't bring anybody in who's not supposed to be in yeah and you would get fined well another that. thing that i thought was interesting with the chinese immigration is that the the border patrol along uh southern united states was initially set up to stop illegal chinese immigration and there were only like 70 people and this is like 1900 miles there's like 1700 people or or 70 people trying to uh stop all these stop the chinese immigration coming in from mexico because i don't have any facts but i'm assuming that once they said all right you can't come here you know we're not letting you in well rather than go back across the the pacific Mm -hmm. like oh let's go to mexico and I, they probably came in from the north, too. That would make sense, yeah, too. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. But I do believe uh, Canada had its own influx of of people at the same time. But in 1892, Congress passes, and I quote, the act to prohibit the coming of Chinese persons into the United States. <laughs> <laughs> and that really what they did is they expanded it from the initial 10 years that the 1982 I mean, the 1892 Act had, sorry, 82, 1882, 10 years, and they added another 10 years. So, and it required all Chinese people to obtain proof of legality. And if you were caught without proper proof, then you would be put in prison in a hard labor camp for one year. Now, this was, Wang Wing took this to the Supreme Court because he didn't have his paperwork. He was illegal. And they did say that while it's okay to deport you, they can't put you in a hard labor camp. It violates the Fifth Amendment. I was going to say, like, mm-hmm. once you kind of abolish, you know, slavery sort of thing, how do you justify yes. doing that? How do you justify doing that? That's another interesting piece that I forgot to tell about um, Abe Lincoln is one of the reasons that they had such an issue with or and wanted a bunch of of chinese immigrants is because slavery was abolished in 1865 so people needed 
cheap labor. And so they had, they were like, come on in, everyone. That's right. Come work cheaply. If you're willing to work for, <laughs> and I don't even and know so what the payment amounts had, were. Like, I don't I know. Don't I couldn't find any record of that Mm-mm. sort of thing for, for any sort of early years. They have it now, but they didn't have it back then. But because Lincoln was trying to appease the people who would be losing their slaves at the time, he was like, yeah, absolutely. Let's have let's have people come in. Let's and that's why a lot of the 1860 legislation happened where um, and the, the treaties in like um, 1958 and things like that to say, hey, we want these open borders. We want you to come in because we're trying to abolish slavery in the country. I felt like that was an important piece that I had forgotten to talk about in the proper timeline. But it just is crazy. It's just crazy. And and I kind of went down this rabbit hole because we're only in the 1890s here. Yeah. And we've already been talking for a half hour because there's just so much information. I mean, this is a whole centuries of information here. And I was so surprised to find out how much of it had to do with China. Yeah, it was kind of surprising to see that China kind of, that's where the start of, all right, we got to, you know, limit immigration and potentially put restrictions in place was because of the Chinese immigration. And then they started doing other uh, laws in the early 1900s where it started to become more than just the Chinese. And some of it was a simple, like, one of the first ones in like 1906 is they said, all right, you got to be able to speak English. Yes. Uh, and they didn't have that as a requirement before, but that becomes a requirement is if you're going to become you know, a U.S. citizen, if you're going to be an immigrant, you need to uh, speak English. And apparently in like 1990, they added some exceptions to that, but that was well, the rule. And my guess yeah. is this was, you know, if you could, they, they also had something called the Oath of Allegiance. When you wanted to become a U.S. citizen, you had to essentially give this Oath of Allegiance to the United States. And I'll bet if you could rattle that off, that counts as, you know, English. Well, we do but... pledge it at the beginning of every elementary school. <laughs> <laughs> but in 1917, you then end up with the Immigration Act of 1917. And we're in World War II at this point. And so we have, you know, the Chinese Exclusion Law, and that was the only specific country slash law that we'd had at this point. But then they start putting it at other countries. And they're like, hey, India, no, you can't come. Southeast Asia's Asian countries, no, you can't come. Middle Eastern countries, no, you can't come. And they would give an exception if you were a student or if you had like a nice job, like you were a teacher or a physician or a chemist, then you, your wife and your children could come. Not necessarily your parents or your uncle, but this one, they were very, they started being clear about people who couldn't come. So you had the one before where they said you have to be able to read, but this one was really, they're starting to get particular Yeah, where they're like, Hey, if you're an anarchist, no, if you've been previously deported, no, if you can't read and you're over the age of 16, no. And they started getting more stringent about who couldn't come. Yeah, and, and the, the list got longer than it had been before. There were several things that st- kind of happened around this time as well. So, number one, you had World War One that yep. had happened, and then and the um, flu, so this was after too. 1917. But in, you had the 1918 Spanish flu. Yeah, and so then people are saying, "All right, we need to restrict because 
you know, we're bringing, you know, illness mm-hmm. into the country. Which you know, has to do with importing. Title 42 to wrap around in a circle, but go on. Mm-hmm. So the U.S. starts to become more isolationist. And the other thing that I suspect in it is you start to feel like, well, all right, now we're kind of full. You know, we, we've settled the West and we've got, you know, these big cities. You know, we're not these, uh-huh. you know, this small We have country our railroad. We, we got, yeah, we got a big old railroad. <laughs> and the U.S. starts to become you know, more full. So then the, you know, initially they were encouraging the immigration. Well, now there's, all right, now we got, well, now we got as much a, as we need. We a don't lot need of to... social reforms and a lot of, a lot of things. The government is now bigger. The government now has more responsibilities. Yeah. It's becoming more modern in the way that it has to police things and care for people. And, and if you hit into, you know, the upcoming thirties, then you even have, you know, the depression and more social programs and more things to take care of. And so as, as you find, as time goes on, if you look at the timeline, it becomes more and more and more and more limitations and questions and things. Um, yeah, so in 1921, they introduced country quotas. Yes. And it, so they basically were trying to restrict, uh, and, and this I think was a lot more, uh, cultural is they're saying if you already have like if your country has a bunch of people already in the United States, we will give you a percentage of you know new immigrants based on how many people from your country have already moved here, and mm-hmm. so they they had some formula which I didn't write down, but it's it was 3%, basically um, yeah. So it started with three percent based on the 1890 yeah. census is you know it, in the 1890 census if People said, oh, hey, it was I'm the from... 1910 census. Well, I think the first one was 1890, but then they that was mm. just to get the bill through, and I then see. they started doing the more modern ones. Well, this is this is kind of fascinating too because we've just had our first um, major war uh, outside of the United States. We did have our civil one earlier, but there's a ton of national pride, and we're heading into. The, the century of national pride here and um that does cause a differentiation between the people outside of the country and the people inside of the country so there there's and and they change this they have the johnson reed act in 1924 too where they change it from three percent to two percent yeah. because one there of the lots things of that people. i thought was interesting <laughs> between those two is in the first one in the 1921 act it was enforced at the U.S. border, and they did it monthly. And so what would happen is people would come over. If you got here on, say, like August 31st and you show up in the port, they'd be like, yeah, we already filled our quota. Get oh, out of no. here. So everybody kind of, or if, if they hadn't the filled it. So people started scheduling. They had something called midnight runs where if they hadn't filled the quota oh, by yes. the end of the month, everybody's trying to get in there before the end of the day on the you know the 31st or whatever so that they can get additional people mm-hmm. in. So everybody's kind of tracking these quotas, but it was all done at the U.S. border. So ships were sitting around waiting, you know, well, next you know, next week we might be able to get in. Well, and everything was a little bit more organized. Everyone has a social security number and everybody's like, there's a lot more order. You couldn't just as easily sneak across a random other place. I mean, people do it today, but, and it's a lot harder today. It was, but back then, like the kind of the, the borders weren't the big, 
problems. It was the ships coming in because yes. most of the immigration was coming in from, you know, Europe, China. You know, it wasn't coming in from the local, you know, yeah. Mexico, Central America. And people were willing to follow the rules more. Because yeah. you could take a dinghy from your boat any old place. And they didn't really do that very often. Well, on, on some of these, when they did the quotas for, you know, the, the countries, they exempted Canada, Mexico, Cuba. They were all exempted. They that's said, because it was open. It, yeah, that's because mm-hmm. it was open. Like, they didn't have any sort of quota system or restrictions mm-hmm. at that time. Anybody from any, you know, Canada, Mexico, Cuba, or independent countries around, you know, Central America were, were just allowed in. You could just come in anytime you wanted. And in 1942, they get the... So 1952, I think, they had like an, another act, the Immigration and Nationality Act, and that's... But before that, they had the Barracero Agreement, which is when they start to allow Mexican nationals in to be agricultural workers temporarily. And so this is kind of where it became sort of almost like tradition for people to come up from Mexico and become agricultural workers for the season and then go back home. And this was an agreement where they're like, yep, <laughs> you go ahead and do that. And and they had a lot of little nuances with that one too, where they would, um, and it stayed in place till 1964. So this was something where people where came people and had this and um, kind of became a tradition, tradition that was, Alive 40 years later, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, in 1952, they put a they, they started to define immigrants by skill set, and they were trying to get the more. But they also set a hard cap saying, you know, 270,000 a year yes. is what we're going to let in. I do have another funny story, though, from before this. Okay, let's hear it. In 1945, what happened in 1945? Well, you got the end of the war. the war. So they had a bunch of brides. War oh, brides. yeah. So they had the War, War Brides Act of 1945. Yeah, I read about that. That allowed foreign-born spouses and children of U.S. citizens serving abroad to come into the United States. And I don't think that was the only time. I think that they had that after, like, Vietnam as they would well. Have to. They where they were lot. like, all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that just amused me. It is kind of amusing <laughs> to think because... The, the circumstances at the time, you know, you got this war going on, you're over there to fight, and you, yeah. you know, how, to, how do how you, you have find time the time to make a family yeah, while you're there? Especially the the ones who are over, you know, it, you know France, Germany, where, where yeah. Italy, wherever you are, you, you have a language barrier. Oh, yeah. You got other things going on. And, but, and, but it's, you know, they got married. Like, I don't know. In today's day, people don't get married. They just... <laughs> So it's like, nope, they got married, and they have kids, and they have a family now. And so, But there were so many that they had to make an act about it. Like, I don't know why. I just thought that was so funny. The poor girl at home who's been receiving letters to find out that her boyfriend is married with a family by the time he comes home. Yeah. <laughs> in addition, in, like, 1948, they also had, like, a displaced persons act where oh, yeah. they were talking, you know, people who were living in Europe that got displaced from you know, the war mm-hmm. didn't have a place to go. So this was kind of... It uh, allowed an where, additional 200,000 people in Yeah, and the idea of, like, refugees, I think, mm-hmm. started around here where they're like, okay, let's treat 
these well, people I don't know, differently. The potato famine might have, because that was some big well, numbers. The, but I, at the time, the that was there were no restrictions. It's true. So that was come on That's in. True. We don't care if you can, you know, grab a shovel and do whatever. You're welcome. Yeah. And it wasn't. Now we started saying, okay, we don't want everybody. You know, we're, we're full now. But if you're a refugee, we'll give you, you know, special yeah. consideration. So we'll still have our normal policy for immigration where you can apply, you can, you know, come in. But if you don't have anywhere else to go and you can't go back to your country, then we'll, we would take a set number of those, which I think was like 50,000 or something. And uh, it's kind of fascinating because stuff picks up now. So yeah. 1950, you've got something... You've got multiple things happening, and in a in it seems like a very quick succession to one another. And you have the McCarran Walter Act or the Immigration Act, Nationality Act with, with the quotas. In 1953, you have another Refugee Act from people who have been expelled some more in Europe because you've got the Cold War situation happening. Yeah, you had a lot of people mm-hmm. in like Hungary and Poland that were essentially fleeing communist Iron persecution stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that, that they were uh, given special consideration. 1962, some more refugee assistance um, because of communism, because of all of the conflicts that came with the Cold War. So it's cold because in the United States, we didn't actually fight much, but in other areas, there was plenty of fighting happening in the Cold War era with communism. Um, I guess we did have Vietnam, <laughs> but I kind of think of that as being separate for some reason, and it wasn't. Korea and Vietnam both fall into the Cold War category, Yeah. but for some reason they do seem separate, and they are just not. But there was a lot of other wars in other places. Um, 1965, the Immigration Nationality Act, also the Hart Seller Act? Hart Seller yeah, so those are usually the people who sponsored it. I know, I but I was trying to make it Keller in my head. Uh. <laughs> like The Hart-Keller Act, which is really the Seller Act. Um, and this ha- had, again, a lot of them have to do with caps. Um, but this one allowed parents in. There's no cap. Uh, if you are coming in and you have permission, you can also have... Bring your kids. You can bring your kids, your as... spouse, and your parents. So... The other thing that happened in that act is they abolished the country quota. So you had oh. the civil rights era going yes. on, and people were saying, look, the, the, the country quota is designed, you know, the, keep particular to keep particular out. countries out. You mm-hmm. know, let's get rid of that and just make it a, an even, you know, every Number. country. Mm-hmm. So they said every country gets capped at 20,000 is, is what it was supposed to be. How... How much any of this is followed is hard to say it because it does not seem like it's really followed, but no, <laughs> because I don't know who really counts because, you know, it says there's a total, 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 total cap of 120,000 people. Yeah. But is that 120,000 people plus their families or do the families get shoved into that? And then if you go look at the Department of Homeland Security statistics, it does not seem like we could be following the caps, you know, that it, it's hard to say because it actually, like, if you look 1960 to 69, they said we had a total of 3.2 million. So if the cap is 2.7 or 270,000 over 10 years, that should be 2.7. And yeah. it says there's 3.2. So clearly it's not. Yes. But don't forget. And there's the, 
refugee acts yeah. that add an extra this person. But that so still seems It odd. is hard to say mm-hmm. what's followed and not. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know how. I also just think it would be in, incredibly hard. So they did try and move it so that the enforcement doesn't happen at the U.S. border. They tried to make it so, you know, embassies. All right, do your paperwork over here. Mm-hmm. And then when we say you can come in, then get on the boat. Don't get on the boat first and come over and do your paperwork here. Do it first. That, mm-hmm. that happened much earlier. But I don't know. I don't really know how much any of that was really followed, you know, especially when you start talking about refugees. And yes, which happens in 1975. Because you've got uh, people fleeing Cambodia and Vietnam, so they changed the word refugee to include other people. They broaden it, um, and in 1976, they have another amendment, an Immigration and Nationality Act amendment, that allows for preference categories for immigrants from the Western countries. Like, (laughs) I know that it doesn't mean they're excluding anybody, but I do think that's kind of funny. The, in the 70s, they're like, we're not excluding anyone. We just would rather have these other That's people. Right. Normally, they do it by, <laughs> we want the higher skilled. Yeah. Is, is, and that. From anywhere. Yeah, from yeah. anywhere. Because even the people they originally were like, no, you can't come. Well, except for China. But those other countries, they're like, unless you're like unless, a teacher, canister, yeah. you know, all some something that will be a benefit. And even to this day. If you have, so I looked up about the different countries that the easiest country with the easiest immigration policy is America. I believe it. I didn't believe it. I was like, so I mean, if you just look at the numbers, by far, by far, the U.S. brings in the most immigrants. They don't necessarily bring in the most refugees, but I think that there's like one or two countries in the Middle East. I think Turkey's one, Turkey's and then one. maybe Jordan. But, but there's a couple that, that have high levels of refugees coming in because of location, because mm-hmm. it is the Middle East. And, and Turkey's fairly advanced for, for Yeah, and so when you have a war, kind of say, situations. in Syria or something, yes. then they're, it, it's easiest for them to go to Turkey than yeah. to come to the U.S. But the U.S. by far has the most well, immigrants I, but coming But I still to thought it. it would be harder. I thought that they would put more things... Because in Canada, Canada is number two, and you can get into Canada if you pay money. You can be like, "Hey, you know what? I'm really rich. I will pay you two hundred thousand dollars just to let me in." And they're like, "Okay." <laughs> that's, but they also that's, are like, "That was something that the U.S. did at one point." It, well, actually, but anyway, I think part of the thing with some of the numbers like that is the U.S. has the multicultural people. Yes. And yes, other countries don't have enough. that. So if Homogenous. you go to China, there's not Chinese people. When you say, look, we don't want anybody that's not Chinese coming into China, the Chinese people don't go, oh, that's racist. They go, yeah. yeah. But here in the U.S., we have so many people from so many different countries yeah. that if you say, I don't want anybody from this country, we have so many people from that country that go, well, that's racist. You can't do that. But you don't have problems like that in Japan and China and a lot of big countries. They just yeah. say, it's not yeah, that makes sense. We don't want it. Mm-hmm. Why would we want that? So in 1980, speaking of refugees, this was a big piece of legislation that still impacts our Im- immigration today. So they change, okay, so they, they change the statutory system about who is an asylum seeker and and what happens when you come to the border as an asylum seeker. 
and they changed the definition of refugee to be anyone leaving a person's country due to persecution, whether they are race, religion, nationality, social group, or if you have like opinions that your country doesn't love. And so it broadens the definition of what a refugee is. You don't have to be in war. You can just be somebody disliked because of your political opinion. Yeah, and what I recall it was before was basically, if I go back to my country, they're going to kill me. Yes. And And now that's not the rule. So when you find people packed up right now at the border, and I I think of the Mexican border a lot because that's where it's happening. Yeah. Today, that's the biggest Mm -hmm. point of immigration by far. People claim a a status as a refugee over and as an asylum seeker over things that are not life-threatening and, yeah. and they would have been fine it just wasn't an ideal situation and they are being granted in to america because you can go to the border and essentially say hey i have political views and nobody likes it and they threaten my family there's no way to corroborate that evidence and that falls under the umbrella of refugee so that is how most of the people at the border are coming they're seeking into the asylum country. status seeking rather asylum than status tra- because the immigration mm-hmm. process you really do have to go through a process yes you have paperwork it. that has mm-hmm. to be filled out there's uh, and there is a fee I, yes. at one point it was eight dollars which translated to about two hundred dollars in I, I think when they first introduced it it, wow. it would have been about two hundred dollars i don't even know what it is now but there is a fee and they have different ways you can get in. Like if you're working with a company, companies will pay the fees and do yes. stuff like that. But there is there is a fee to get in. So the, in the process, to from the outside, not the asylum seekers, are, are a different quota number. Yeah. So the, the quota numbers have to do with the people who are coming in through the official channels. Correct. And then you've got these asylum seekers who don't fall into that category. They fall into the refugee category, which... Yeah, because then you don't have to... So the quota, and I don't even know what it is today, but in 1990, so it was set at 270,000. In 1990, they got bumped up to 675,000. Whoa. So the... And you can see, if you look at that DHS statistics page, there's a huge influx around that time when they change the number. Um, but I, I'm assuming that that number has changed since then because they'll do that a lot of times where they kind of pass the main act and then several years later they'll make an amendment or they'll change, or they might even build it in saying it's X amount here, but after 10 years, you know, we'll yes. adjust it based on the... And we don't, I don't remember what was going on in the 90s. I know you have stuff out in the Middle East, but maybe there's other conflicts going on where they're like, Okay, you know we yeah. see that there's there's a need for. And I think for that, that's when. So I think in the '80s is when you start getting a lot of the like Mexican and the Central and South America coming up. And I don't know if that was related. I don't know what the reasoning was, but it that I mean that's a pretty big bump to happen in the. It was the Immigration Act of 1990. Yeah. So in that time, all of a sudden you you know you have this large influx of migration that happens in the 90s and continuing kind of since then oh and right before the 90s in 1988 they have the anti-drug abuse act where if you commit an aggravated felony which can be a drug-related crime they can deport you (laughs) because even if you're here legally they can be like sorry get out you're out 
Yeah. So I have a 1994 the okay. violent crime control because now we're hitting a, a a situation where the war on drugs is huge and anyone that went to school during this time has to go through the D.A.R.E. program. We're getting a, a ton of drugs from the southern border. We're also getting some shipped in in every what way and we ha- we're having drug issues. So it um it allowed the U.S. Attorney General to bypass deportation proceedings for certain alien felons. So they there were certain proceedings that had to be followed, but if you were part of this violent crime situation, they're like, nope, bye. You don't you don't get these these special um, laws that were even established back um, in the Chinese area where. You know, they say you have to have a jury by your peers if you're going to be this, but not to be deported. And so now they're like, nope, you get to be deported for that and you get to be deported for this. And they also in 1996, they have a terrorism, um, anti-terrorism and a de- effective death penalty act, which is kind of fascinating. So it added new crimes that were considered aggravated felonies and an expedited removal procedure. And it just changed the way that the laws affected people who were either in who were in the country legally, but if they were committing crimes, even including things like fraud. Yeah, that that's kind of. I mean, there's several times in throughout the history where they do kind of make rules. There was something like in the '80s about uh, they they start making all right. It's illegal to hire, you know, illegal immigrants and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But a, a lot of them don't have, uh, I guess, the capability to expel people. Right. It and there are a few that, deport people. that do that, including. Mm-hmm. So the most recent one, I think, was that Title 42. Title 42. That one was fascinating. And I feel like we should touch on that. But there are a few. There's a few in There's between. There's so much stuff. Yeah. Because you have the. Illegal Immigration Reform and Immigrant Responsibility Act, where they change about how how people can receive welfare. And 1997, the Nicaraguan Adjustment and Central American Relief Act, which um, adjusts, it adjusts the status for qualified people from those countries and Soviet, former Soviet bloc countries. And in 1998, you have the Haitian Refugee Immigration Fairness Act. And... um, the U.S. Patriot Act in 2001, that was a big one. <laughs> yeah, so after 2001, there were there was kind of a change. Yes. In, and, and a lot of it, too, was, all right, they had, like, the Real ID Act. So immig- that was in 2005, and it basically, if you're an immigrant, you have to have special papers to get on yep. planes and to, uh, you know, open a bank account. Because they're worried about security act because of the terrorism. Mm -hmm. Because of the terrorism, they they say, "All right, you know, special circumstances. Let's crack down on uh, people who may be over here." And even if you were already over here, yeah, you could be investigated. So one of the things they did is they focused on foreign students, and they said, "Hey, you know, we're we're going to be investigating anybody we want now. We're just going to just know that we're going to be." checking on everybody if we want like yeah and they had enhanced border security visa re-entry reform entry reform acts like it got really intense for a while because of the terrorism and the secure fence act this is fun 
<laughs> yeah, because this gets into where you're starting to talk about like things that become almost like you know culture war, political yes. war topics today. Uh huh. And one of them is that border wall because mm-hmm. that was something that Trump was. I'm going to make a big old Which beautiful is funny. wall. It wasn't him who started it. Oh, they it had already him. had walls up, which actually, because that border or the Secure Border <laughs> Act or whatever, which I thought was 2006. I don't, I'm not there on my notes, but um, yeah, it was 2006. Yeah. And, and I think that's when they built the majority yes. of the wall which that is, exists. That's Bush, yes. And that was Bush. Yes. And, and it, they did it in the higher populated areas yeah. because they were like one city. Like, in one city, the city of, like, Juarez and the city of... Um, There's a lot of oh them gosh, that are over there. The There's Nogales. I don't even... That's yeah. not how you pronounce it. I'm so positive. They, they had the river running through, but essentially there's, like... Well, even places to the, there are <laughs> so places where there's not a river, and you can kind of see, if you go look, there's pictures, there's a fence, and they're like, you know, this is Mexico, this is U.S., and there's wow. houses, like, going up. You know, on to, both sides. To either it side. is populated on both sides. Yep. And because of the way that they had allowed in and out and up and down, I'm sure there's family on both sides. Like, yeah. So grandma might live over there and, you know, auntie might live over there. And it's like, I imagine that was well, probably traumatic at the time. But it's also like, how do you keep any kind of control of this when people are flooding in? So I am pro wall. Though I can see that if I live there, I would be anti-wall. <laughs> and and it's really that. hard for me to say because part of me thinks with the wall that a lot of it just isn't going to do anything. Once you get out into the middle of nowhere and you build a wall. But the convenience factor does play If you a can't role. patrol, you know, if you if you got patrols, maybe you don't need the wall. If you can't patrol, people are going to go over, under, through the wall, which they've already done. But And, I, and a lot of that, so there's... I think 700 miles of wall mm-hmm. and like 350 miles or 300 miles is, is just a, what's called a vehicle barrier. Uh-huh. And and the pictures of it, you can just hop on over, you know, just the wall. The it's out. not a big wall. It, it's essentially, you know, if you've ever seen like the anti-tank, you know, metal pieces that yeah. they'll drop in the, it's kind of a bunch of that with, uh, metal pipes between the barriers so you can't drive through so it is effective though and i'll tell you why all right because hispanics make up 24 percent of the total immigrant population actually these are legal numbers so i'm not sure if it's effective at all but it's down from 30 percent in 2000 so well it, and it kind of <laughs> depends on when you're counting too because one of the things that i found when i was looking into stuff is the recent numbers changed dramatically with COVID. Yes. And, and so if and, you look at like anything from 2020, 2020 immigration dropped dramatically, 2021 dropped dramatically, 2022 yes. it started coming up again. But depending on what you count, you That's can say, oh, true. yeah, we're way That's down. Because it was 2020. But, but the, the numbers were not the same because of COVID. What do you think the next two countries are and their percentages? Um. Ooh, so I kind of think India might be absolutely. That's the second one, and then ooh, I'd I'd almost guess China. It is. It's China because they are the two largest countries. Yeah, but by guess far, what their percentages are so, so percentage if, of if Hispanics make up twenty four percent, what 
percentage does India make up? I'd guess like 10. Six. Six? China's five. So that's a huge drop. Yeah, that's 24. a huge drop, and it makes you realize that the rest <laughs> of the countries have got to be pretty small, pretty small. You know, to fit as many yeah. countries as we have. Their, their percentages are pretty low. So t- let's just jump to Title 42, because that's why I can't, like was even looking. Title 42 was introduced in 2020, and it was because of the coronavirus. You could turn away asylum seekers or anybody at the border um, under a quote-unquote health emergency. So you could be like, nope, you can't come in. Nope, go away. Um it was used, but not with families and not with children traveling alone. So if you were a family... Which is hilarious I to know. me. Because <laughs> if the purpose is to stop COVID, uh-huh. and then you're like, well, if you got a family, you like, you're not come. stopping COVID. Mm-hmm. In fact, single people traveling through would statistically be less likely to have COVID <laughs> than a group, than of, a group five. of people. But... How many times do you think they used this in the three years it was operational? If it didn't include families and didn't include children traveling alone? Um, I would guess like 1.3 million. 2.8 million. 2.8 million. So 2.8 uh, million Because I was looking at this. I think this was on like a per year. shipped off. Oh, no. It was in the three years. Because the U.S. Customs and Border Protection has a chart thing that they yeah. put out where they're talking about, you know, here's the number of people that came through and they talk about, they also bring up something called Title Eight, which is, was there before, which lets them detain people. Uh, uh, and, and essentially, it, it's very similar because I think it's uh, to give them a physical and see if they're you know mentally and physically capable and potentially if they have disease. But Interesting. it wasn't a, a deport thing. It was a detained thing. And so they'd have to hold them. You know, they can't just be like, all right, we're sending you back, which Title 42 just said, yeah, you get to just send them back. You don't have to do anything, which I don't know how you do that. Essentially, like, yeah, go stand on the other side of the river. You know, <laughs> you can't stand on this side. That that seems like all you could really do, aside yeah, from, I it, think they did try it. busing. They had tried planes earlier. They did something, I think it was in maybe like the 80s where they went to go deport people. They would fly people to their home countries, and for they, sure. And they only did like 50000 and then they're like, this is Too way, expensive. this is so expensive. So they had, what do you think their consequence list, how long do you think their consequence list was for people who crossed illegally? I don't even know what a consequence list is. So like, is that? Like the list, like what kind of, of actions would they take against people who who crossed illegally? So the only actions that I could really think is you're either getting sent back or you're going to stay here in our crappy facility that we made until right. we figure out what to do with you. Yeah, there were no consequences. Like, they didn't have any right like, any could, issue. You're just like either in or you're out. And I just think... The problem <laughs> is, it's like, what do you do? Because you say, okay, well, you know... We'll, we'll hit you. Well, nobody really wants, uh, you know, we'll, we'll physically beat you until you decide to go home on your own. It's kind of a terrible thing, and that would be hard to swallow. <laughs> so what do you do? You put them in prison? Well, then no. what's the difference between a, a detainee center? But, but it is kind of interesting that they are entering the country in an illegal way. Right. And they are like, oh, you just broke a law. Where if I steal a candy bar, I get in trouble for that behavior. True, so but it's very it's different like, because ultimately the penalty is 
you know, you either pay us money, do whatever, or you go to jail. So if yes. you bring these illegal immigrants and you say, all right, you're breaking the law, but they're going to say, well, then please send me to jail. At these facilities, we'll are they just... saying, here's your paperwork to fill out? Like, yeah. let me walk you through this process. Oh, you're going to have to wait. Go cross the river till you wait. Like, like Yeah, the, no, but the only thing that like... I can physically see is you have to make it so hard for them <laughs> where essentially you're like, we'll starve you, we'll hit you, we'll do whatever until you t- decide to go home on your own or you pay for them to get on a bus and drive them back and a okay. lot of them just come back again. Here's what makes me upset. In California, they are adding a fee to the citizens of California oh, yeah. where they have to pay $300 million so that when people come across the border illegally, not the ones who come legally, the illegal ones, they can give them money and send them on their way. So not only are you not disincentivized, right. you are incentivized. You're incentivized, mm-hmm. and then the problem it really is, too, that you you are kind of saying the laws don't necessarily matter. And they don't matter to you, you people who um, are coming in while other people did it the way they're supposed to. Yeah. I think there's a ton of people that are mad that, you know, the people who go through the process get really upset at the people who don't because it, I don't I think it causes them, you know, it potential it's, issues. It's is awful. Number one, there's a good percentage of people who don't like the illegal Im- immigration who can't really tell the difference between legal and illegal. I do think there are a lot of probably just clueless people who just have oh. no idea. In America, I, I think, think that's a very safe yeah. bet. But I mean, who immigrate? I don't think I don't think you go to a country and are like, I researched every immigration law before I oh. got here. Like, <laughs> I, I think they just don't know. But I also think, why in the world are they saying, yeah, come on in then. Come on in. Here's a, here's well, $500. You know, there's, I, there's people who don't necessarily know the rules. But I honestly think in, in today's world, these people have phones and they have yeah. internet and they have, like, I think now people know. I think you could go back 30 years and people wouldn't know. Now, I don't know that that's an argument at all. Well, because I've seen these these people have phones. They have cell phone plans. They have data. I think they know. But it's not even, I'm not even as angry at them. I do think they should do it the right way and it makes me angry. I'm angry that they're, the Border Patrol isn't, just being like, no, we told you to do it the right way. Yeah. Because if I try to get in a national park and I'm like, actually, I don't want to pay this fee. They're like, sorry, you can't come in. Like, yep. You have to pay this fee. And I'm like, I don't want to. Like, I don't want to pay, pay the fee. Oh, well, then come on in. Like, that's not how it works for anybody else. No, So it makes not. me upset. But Title 42 expired on May 12th of 2023. And <laughs> it became a zoo. Well, this is also one of those, the big, you know, kind of like the border wall. This became one of the political culture war things that's going on. Well, it was so funny. So (laughs) the funny part is uh, Biden had the National Guard go. This was Biden. This wasn't even like Texas because or Arizona. Well, Texas and Arizona have been yelling, saying, hey, we're drowning here Mm -hmm. for a long time. Well, Biden says, okay, have the National Guard come. They have the National Guard come, which they just 
open the gate and let people in. It was really, but there's little kids. There's little kids climbing up this little dirt cliff. And I'm like, oh, like it's true. Your heart breaks for the little kids. It, and it's so sad. <laughs> but yeah. But they have. So this guy was doing an interview and I wish I remembered who he was because I recognize his face. I just can't remember his name. And he's like, they have 30,000 people in custody. And he's like, some of the facilities are getting overcrowded. I'm like, 30,000 people. Can you imagine housing, feeding 30,000 people and having your government be like, yeah, they're getting a little overcrowded. Like, I just am like, are you crazy? Like. Oh. That's and and if, you look, if you look at the Custom and Border Patrol Taylor numbers, they're saying Sorry. they get 200,000 illegal entries every month. Oh, 200,000. And, and again, it, it's that what do you do with them? Did you, you see know? the people in Chicago who got their busload of immigrants? Oh, yeah. And they, put a, they were like, we don't allow people to come in here without working. And I was just it, like, it's got a bus so hilarious. These, these border countries, I mean, these border cities have thousands well, again, and they're hundreds getting of thousands every month. Millions a year. And you're crying because you got six bus loads? Like, shut your face. And, and they're saying, oh, we, we can't. <laughs> we don't have the resources and we don't have the, and I think, you look there at places like Chicago late, and New York. These are like the richest cities in <laughs> yes. America. And then they go down and they're like, yeah, we don't have the you know resources. And There's they some wanna... lady making soup for 5,000 people at a time. And you're crying because you got six yeah. bus loads? <laughs> and, and I don't know what the, what to do. Well, like New York City. And it, this is where I do think. You know the when they started busing people oh, up yeah, to New York, they had that initially, hotel. like I was kind of like, oh man, like that's kind of a mean thing to do. But I think it's I'm funny. actually, I, I think it's funny <laughs> because the people who are the not okay with cities. it, the they, people in New York, and the, mm-hmm. like this is ridiculous that you're sending. They're the same people who are like, oh, it's fine to let them in, and, you know, cities. be nice, do what. But as soon as one. they get the uh-huh. you know people in their cities like New York is saying look we got no capacity they're actually busing people out to the suburbs oh, no. so the people that Cheaters. get bust into New York they're <laughs> like oh this is ridiculous if you can't bust people there we're gonna bust them out to the suburbs well they have one gigantic hotel that is in charge it's like the immigration hotel and they're like hey you guys have to go and they're like nope yeah. <laughs> and I'm like that's what's happening in the south in the southwest is they're saying hey you guys can't be here. Well, what are you going to do? Yeah, too bad. Because that's there's the position that us. they'll put you in is mm-hmm. you either have to do something terrible to me and make me leave, mm-hmm. or you have to physically put me on a bus and get me somewhere where mm-hmm. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. And and we don't have the appetite to do anything terrible, so what are you going to do? Yeah. it's You're going to detain them and put them in. And part of that, I think, is to try and, you know, let's make this painful. Which, well, do you do that? You can do say you that say, that's hey, like a mean thing to do, but I am here to tell you, anymore. they do that to American citizens. Like, that's yeah. what our court system is designed to do. Like, I will make this terrible for you. I will bleed your money. I will do whatever until you comply. That's what our it's justice system weird. really is. <laughs> and that there's no other way to make it work. Otherwise, you just say, nah, no thanks. Yeah. I don't I don't want to do what you said. It's been, it's been... Just, it, but it is kind of fascinating because what I was hoping to find, and I never actually got to find, is how different is this than what it's than been what before. was happening before? 
because it's definitely political in a way that it hasn't been before. Well, part of the issue goes back to it's, we're a different country now than we were then. You know, yeah. when, when you go back to the 1880s, when we started seeing a lot of the influx from like Eastern Europe and Southern Europe, we had so much space. Yes. You know, when, when Ireland and Italy and, you know, Russia and Germany are having their economic problems and sending people, we're like, fine, you know, we got 30 states that we don't even have people in, you know, come on over yeah. and we'll fill them up. And now people feel like, all right, we're, we're full now. But if you look at the percentage of immigrants over over the past few centuries, and it's it never really gets over 15% of the population. Now, this, again does not include illegal immigration. This is just legal. Right. We've got your numbers. We've kept track. And I think, truly, I think the problem is the illegal portion. I think that's where right. we have a big, a big issue. Because if you look at this graph that shows the percentage of, of the population of America that is immigrants versus the total number of immigrants, the total number is really, really high <laughs> versus the percentage because the population has increased. Yeah. But, so, so right now, I think they say 15% of the U.S. population is immigrants, and mm -hmm. that is now 45 million. So if you yes. go back. But then you add illegal, which we know already, based on what the Border Patrol tells us, is in the millions and millions each year. And those are the ones who got caught. <laughs> so... It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of people. And, um, but one fascinating piece of information that I found while I was looking is you have um, education. It's the education of yes. U.S. born, all immigrants, and recently arrived immigrants. And the, uh, if you have less than a ninth grade, uh, the U.S. born is far lower of people that have less than ninth grade education. Ninth to twelfth, you've got the U.S. has less people who only have that much education. But then you you keep going and you hit a bachelor's degree and higher. And the recently arrived immigrants have forty seven percent that have a bachelor's degree or higher. So there's a site that I found has. Research has it broken down by like country and stuff, and you oh, can mm -hmm. actually kind of see. So, if you compare like U.S. born and foreign born, oh. we're actually pretty similar on who the percentage of people who have like bachelors. But you can go and break it down if you look at like South Asia, the immigrants from South Asia, seventy-one percent have bachelors, oh, or higher, or or higher. Whereas you look at say like Mexico, that that number is seventy or seven oh, percent, mm -hmm. and they have fifty four percent who have less than high school, and so the. Do you think that's because people come and they're less? Oh, it says. Age, I think a lot it of it is because twenty five and older. If you look at, you know, we we put rules that hey, we want your skilled, you know, we want skilled professions and we want whatever. When you're yeah. coming over from, say, India, you can't just walk over. Yeah. So it's a lot easier to enforce that sort of thing. Yeah. Than, and say, look, we want your skilled workers. You have which to go part through. of me, you know, you, you can look at this and think it is kind of uh, interesting that we're happy to be like, hey, we'll take all your skilled people, you know, India, 
bring us, you know, give us your skilled and your, you know, little, it's a little different than what's on the Statue of Liberty where we're like, give us your poor and your hungry and your downtrodden. And now we're like, no, 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 give us your bachelor give degree your or more. And your undowntrodden and your perfectly healthy people. Yeah. And they have some numbers about what, like, the, the jobs immigration or immigrants are doing, uh, the, you know, Department of, you know, Bureau of Labor, Labor, whatever it is. But, mm-hmm. uh, you can look in the percentage of immigrants in a lot of like the services industry and construction, yes. way more immigrants. But what was interesting is there's more immigrants in like software development and mathematical ones because that's where a lot of the ones, you know, the, the skilled workers yeah, were intentionally bringing mm-hmm. those over because, you know, we want them. They're, they're good for, you know, even even the low skilled you know the people doing anybody who's working yeah. is helping it that it's true and as mad as i get that people are coming in illegally cuz i think that that's wrong it is i do think there can be a, a broad range of helpful people yeah and it, if you're willing to walk all the way from south america bam and man. and it's tough like i <laughs> i'm really torn cuz number 1 i don't i don't feel no. The, a lot of these people, they're just trying to make a better life for themselves yep. and their kids. And how do you fault people for wanting to do that? Yeah. That's a terrible you know, thing to be like, you know, you shouldn't try and have a better life for your kids. But at the same time, it's kind of like, okay, well, you're, you're potentially coming here and lowering, you know, standards or, you know, crime will raise. And uh, making, you're part of the 30,000 that don't, nobody can yeah. take care of properly. And, and that. They like, they are getting fed. They are getting, and, and that money comes from us, you know, from citizens. Yeah. And so a lot of citizens are saying, "Look, you know, we don't want to spend all this money." Uh, I I totally understand that side. Mm-hmm. So like I I don't I am of the opinion. I'm I'm also kind of a selfish person, and I do think yeah, it is getting a little crowded here. You know, you try and drive down the street <laughs> in rush hour oh and then goodness. go, yeah, let's bring in a couple more million. Because yeah. they did a poll, like a worldwide poll, and found that 190 million people would move to the U.S. if they could. And I think... That's still less than, or just over what China was in the 1860s. And it, and it would still be less <laughs> than what China or India are now. Like China and India now are like one point three or 1.1 billion no they're more than they're almost one and a half yeah i think i I think think they're both around 1.3 but but it's because if you put them together they make up a a third of the entire world's population yeah it's a lot of imagine their rush hour you know trash like i've seen the trains trains. oh my goodness (laughs) and you're like and and that's another selfish thing like i don't want that here uh like i don't want to have to jump on that train I don't want to be hanging, the, you know, off, you know, somebody else who's hanging on, on to the train just so that I can <laughs> feed myself. It's true. You know, it is it is selfish and yet it's also a reasonable a reasonable thing, I think. Well, I think, think everybody's got some level of selfishness. And I don't even think that that's wrong, you know, like part yeah. of that is why people do things, you know, like you yeah. want people to work. The only reason you're going to work is so that you get you know, something for yourself. You're not doing oh that gosh. altruistically. Have you heard a lot of kids and not like, I don't know what percentage in the Xennial or the Gen Z 
or there've been a bunch that are really angry that they have to work and, and why do they have to work? They should just be allowed to have their meals and should be just given their meals and should just, and I was like, <laughs> who's giving you those meals, pal? Like, do you think that the, the corn just grows up from the ground by itself and sticks itself in your mouth? Like <laughs> people yeah. have to work. That's what work is all about. And they're like, yeah, that's why we let yeah. immigrants in. That's right. We have our machine to do that. Which which we might at we some might. point. Oh, I watched a little robot paint the lines on the road. And I was like, we're here. <laughs> we're in the future. <laughs> yeah, and there's some guy at home without a job. I used to paint roads. Uh-huh. There's like six guys who used to paint the roads that this robot's like, I'm not even tired. I don't need a lunch that's break. That's right. <laughs> I do worry, like, but that's a that's a topic for another time when you're like, how many jobs are available, especially, like, if people are refusing to become skilled at stuff. So it'll be interesting to see what comes in the future. Not necessarily exciting, but maybe it will be. Yeah, it could be. I, I've read a lot of books, and it doesn't seem like most of them turn out that well. well but that's because that doesn't make a good story. That's true. And I don't know, people like that happily ever after sort of, you know, story. But mm-hmm. All of the robots worked very efficiently and never broke down and that's made right. all the food and gave it to you. Wally, right? Wally. If you do the, the people side of things, that was what happened for them. It worked that well. Uh, anyway, there's so much to be found, so much information to go down. To find out more, um, if this is something that is interesting to you, there's there's a lot of fascinating, fun facts. There's a lot of um, really good information. Yeah, I thought it was just fun going and looking. I found the, the Department of Homeland Security page that showed all the statistics of immigration since 1820 and just sitting and looking and looking at the different countries and when... You know, there were spikes in immigration, and I thought it was pretty interesting. It is. There's a lot of a lot of fun stuff to find out. In fascinating facts, like approximately 17% of both immigrants and U.S.-born people are 65 and older. Like, just, like, random statistics that are just kind yeah. of interesting. So they, they had, like, some statistics. They said foreign-born, you know, workers... Uh, without a high school degree, make less than native workers without a high school degree, but foreign-born workers with bachelor's degree make more than native workers with bachelor's degrees. Fascinating. And they got a bunch of weird stats like that that are kind of fun to, you know, look into. I also am not going to take us down this hole, but I think everyone should look at the civics exam for becoming a a citizen. A citizen. <laughs> um, th- that has changed over the years, too. But you answered 10 out of 100 questions. But if you're over 65 and you've been in the United States legally for over 20 years, you only have to study the questions that have an asterisk by them. Uh, <laughs> I was like, that's fascinating. So, one of the things that I found fascinating looking into that was they have a, a number of different categories for getting into the U.S. on, on like visas. And one of them is literally... Uh, just be rich and give us money. Oh, yeah. I told you about Canada. <laughs> that, the... that, I was, this is stupid. I saw this plot of land on a, this website and I was like, oh my gosh, that's beautiful. And it was in Canada. And I was like, how do we get there? You know, 
And they're like, oh, and you want to pay us? Then you can just come. And I was like, I do want to. (laughs) They have categories in there. The first category called first preferences, like, hey, if you've ever won like a Pulitzer, an Oscar, or an Olympic medal or something, we'll let you in. Is that what it takes? This is the text. It's like the spelling bee for for you must school. be able to demonstrate extraordinary ability in the sciences, arts, and education, business, or athletics through sustained national or international acclaim. That was For in example, the China. I mean, the Canada one too. Yeah, and they then they give the examples where Pulitzer, Oscar, Olympic medals. That's why that one Olympic gymnast who got seven perfect tens. Yeah, come came on to over. America. Come on over. Oh, you're, you got you're a per, you're a perfect ten. And you we'll, think I'm living? Yeah, Oklahoma. they got a second-based tier that's like, hey, if you're really good, you know, at, at stuff, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, business, arts, whatever, we'll let you in. But you're going to have to prove it, and you're going to have to have somebody who's going to give you a job. If you got an Olympic medal, oh. you don't need a job. But if you're oh. really good at something else, but you're not, you know, quite Olympic medal, you're going to need somebody to kind of sponsor you. But Interesting. Yeah. But, yeah, there it's... Wait, it says here EB4 special immigrant. Yeah, so those are like religious journalists, uh, other things. Oh, uh, religious like, people, comma so, journalists. Yeah, not religious <laughs> journalists, but religious. We only prefer the religious journalists that's right. here in America. Yeah, so there, there's a lot, you know, we didn't get to cover everything. Oh, we no. went over time. Now, again. Hundreds of years worth of information. But, but it, hopefully it was fun for you guys to learn because it was fun for us to find out. Yep. Well, thanks for listening. Bye. See ya.